This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. On the last episode, I talked with Reverend Yanusa Madu, who leads Christian Solidarity Worldwide Nigeria, which is a partner of the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. Yanusa is also the General Secretary of the Evangelical Church Winning All Denomination. And we spoke about the never-ending killing of Christians in Nigeria. As a church leader uh, in our own clime here, uh, it's very difficult because you wake up every day with one bad news or the other. You wake up hearing of your members that are being slaughtered like goats, uh, communities that are being sacked, properties that are being destroyed, people that cannot sleep in their homes, uh, widows being created, orphans being uh, produced every now and then. And and it's quite overwhelming because you, you, want, you want to help, you want to come in solidarity with these people, but the resources are very, very limited because of the huge number uh, of people that, that are uh, involved. But that said, uh, the, the, the feeling is quite emotional and sometimes your members ask you questions that you yourself do not have answers to. Uh, but you just do know at the back of your mind that God is in charge. And sometimes it's just not enough to stand on the pulpit and say to them that God is able to deliver. And some people are asking the question, when is God going to come through in all of these things? We know that God is sovereign. We know that God is powerful. But for how long will we go through this before he, he shows up? But, you know, my answer to them is that God is, is there already. He's not traveled. He's not absent. But there are such times that God does not make sense. But even at those times, God is still sovereign. You can listen or view the entire interview with Yanusa Madu about why the killing and kidnapping of Christians continues and how that is affecting the church in Nigeria, how we can pray, how we can help our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I will put the information on the podcast show notes to listen or to view this podcast. But this time around, we want to get to know Yanusa Madu just a little bit better. He has a very interesting spiritual journey. And also one of the questions I wanted to ask him is, why is he staying in the country where his life and that of his family are in constant danger? Here's that interview. Yanusa, tell me about uh, growing up in Nigeria in a Muslim home. Well, uh, thank you very much, Craig. Um, I was born into a Muslim family. I am number eight of eight surviving children of my parents. I am actually number four from my mother's side and the only boy from my mother, but number eight. And And that's a big deal in that culture, right? I know, yeah. So you're pretty but special, that, pretty special guy. That's true. <laughs> and so um, I, I lost my mother very early in age. I lost my mother when uh, I was, uh, I think I was nine years old when my mother died. Uh, no, I was 11 years old when my mother died. And so I had uh, the opportunity to leave the village and come to the city of Kaduna 
to stay with my elder brother Dan in 1976, who himself wasn't married at that time, but had become a Christian himself. And it was very tough for him. And so for my father to allow me to join my brother, then in the city of Kaduna was uh, an Achillean task because he felt he has lost one already to Christianity. He wasn't prepared to lose another one. And he had already denounced my brother uh, from the family and not happy with him. But then because they said that I look uh, pretty well like my mother physically, so each time he sees me, it reminds him of his wife that uh, has died. So it was uh, a very difficult uh, decision for him to make. And his elder brother uh, felt that, look, the best way is for this boy to leave home so that you can get uh, emotional healing quickly. So that happened. Uh, now, looking back, I know this was uh, God's uh, arrangement for me to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I came to Kaduna with uh, a very stern warning that I should never get near anything that is Christianity. And to be truthful to you, I hated to, I hated Christianity at that time because uh, I, I didn't like the idea that my elder brother had become a Christian already. So I made every promise that I wasn't going to become a Christian, and I meant it. Did you notice anything different about him at that time? Like, was he acting different, or you know? Uh, no, I no. You, you know, before I joined him, I I I didn't have much idea about him because he left home when I was when I was uh, an infant, and and so uh, I think he left home when I was just three years old. So I was I was very small. But you, did you hear things about him uh, or was it just all negative that he'd become a Christian, he'd become an infidel, and now no, he's no, a problem? Yeah, no, just that he became a Christian. He was quite a, a nice guy. Each time he comes home, he, he comes with a lot of goodies for us, uh, biscuits mm. and so on, and even clothing. So he was such a nice guy. But then he wasn't nice enough as much as he wasn't a, a Muslim. So, mm. you know, so um, when I joined him in Kaduna, uh, to be fair to him, he never pressurized me. He never told me to become a Christian. He just allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And uh, two years later, I started following him to, in his church at that time, they, have, they had what they call the evening Sunday school. Uh, it's like a good news club. So I was going to the Good News Club of the church at that time. Uh, for me, it's, it's just another school, but on Sunday. So I, I didn't realize it was a church, but because uh, there were a lot of young, I mean, you know, people of my age, I, I, you know, I felt very comfortable to attend the Good News Club. So from the Good News Club, I started hearing about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I started becoming interested in, uh, in Christianity. Uh, but then I was very careful. So uh, after some times, I started attending church in the mornings, uh, following him to church. And sometimes 1978, during those uh, Sunday school church programs in the morning, uh, 
I finally gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, you know, so with that excitement, um, I wrote back to my father uh, and said, I, I now want to, be, I, I am now a Christian. Well, how, my, okay, before we get to his reaction, how did you overcome so many of those biases that you would have had as a Muslim? Because, you know, you're not supposed to question Islam or the Quran or the Prophet Muhammad. And, and you yourself said, okay, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to go be with my brother in Kaduna. But now you start to hear the gospel. I mean, how did that, and how old were you at that point? One, one, one illustration, uh, it's what broke everything down for me. And, and this is the illustration. When, when you, you go to, you want to travel, for instance, and you go to the motor park, uh, the car station, the train station, or the airport, uh, but let's use the, the bus station, for instance, and you are going to travel from point A to point B, and you meet two drivers. One tells you that I'm going, to, I'm going your way, but I don't know the way. And the other tells you that, yeah, I'm going your way and, and I know the way. Which one, which of the buses are you going to board? Uh, certainly you are going to go with the driver who is going your way and also knows your way. Hmm. But I remember that in Islam, the prophet of Islam told his own daughter when she asked him about uh, eternity, about heaven, he said that even he himself does not know where he is going to that heaven is it's a kind of luck. You have to be lucky to be in, in heaven. So you cannot know that you are going to heaven while you are alive here. In other words, God will just throw you to hellfire if he wants or take you to heaven if he wants. But then if you compare that with the teachings of the Bible at that time I, I was beginning to know, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I said, wonderful. Here we have two people who are leading people to heaven. One says that he knows the way to heaven, and he, he is there. And the other said, well, I'm not sure, even to his own daughter. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, well, well, if, if really I'm serious about traveling this route to heaven, I better go with the driver, the bus driver, if yeah. you understand what I mean, who knows the way and is going my way. Now, that, that's, that broke down everything for me and changed my perception and, and perspective about uh, Christianity and, you know, comparing it with Islam. So I wanted to go to heaven. I, I really mm -hmm. want to go to heaven. And so I found someone who knows the way and is leading the way. So how old were you, Yanusa, when that happened? I was 13 years old. So 13 years old, and but, but it would have been ingrained into you that if you do leave Islam, hell would be waiting. So, I mean, how did that, because there's a lot of fear there. I mean, was your family pretty passionate in their Muslim faith or were they maybe more nominal? They are very passionate about their Muslim faith. And that because, because of my, my, the fact that I was too young, I, I forgot all about that. And uh, 
and innocently, excitedly wrote to my father that I'm now a Christian. So it's almost uh, in an innocent way. It's, you know, if you had been older, like 25 or, you know, as an adult, it, you, you might not have uh, had that sort of same way of doing it. Hey, I've become a Christian. I'm excited. No, no. Uh, so what, what was the reaction then uh, from your father and your family? Well, as expected, my father was devastated. And he asked my brother, he wrote back to my brother. Now, my brother didn't know that I wrote a letter to my father telling him that I've become a Christian. Yeah, he so, may have warned you against that, right? Yes, I know. So he, he, my father now wrote back to my brother and said, well, that was not our agreement. So my elder brother now asked, did you write a letter home to our dad? I said, yes, I did. Uh, then I was learning how to write a letter, by the way, because I was in the primary school. So, uh, and my brother said, well, hell has been let loose at home. Everyone is, 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 is disenchanted. Everyone is angry. And they asked me to send you back home. So we waited for when it was holiday time. And uh, I went back home to my father to spend the holidays with him. And my father said, well, this is the end of your going back to the city. You are never going back to the city again. So they started teaching me again how to do the Islamic practice, prayers in Islam and the rest. And, uh, but at that time already, uh, I was convinced in my mind that this is the way uh, that I wanted to go, that the way of Christ. So, but because of the fear, now I have been brought face to face with the anger of my father. Okay. And so the fear now, um, I now realize that what I've done was not a child's play. And if not well managed, I might never go back to schooling in the city, which, which again is another thing that was a passion for me. So uh, what I was doing was following my father to, to pray the, the Muslim times, but each time I prostrate to pray the Muslim prayer, I was reciting, I was praying to Jesus Christ. Yeah, the posture was that of Islamic prayer, mm -hmm. but the wordings I was saying in my mind was a prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my father somehow felt satisfied that I had returned back to Islam. And so, and, and people also told him that, well, you see, this boy looks promising. Uh, he's schooling and we shouldn't truncate his education. And since it looks like he has returned to his senses, we, we can send him back to his brother. I also need to mention that the kind of Islam practice in, the, in, the, in, in North Central Nigeria, especially where I come from, is not the type that your father will want to kill you. Uh, where because you become a Christian, they want to slaughter you. I'm just going to say a little different than what we're hearing in terms of northern Nigeria with groups the like the Boko Haram. And so it's a, yes. it was a different context at that time. Yes, especially at that time, it was a different con context. Uh, so you, 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 you might be denied many things in the family. In fact, it could be as serious as uh, your father disowning you as a child. But at that part where I come from, uh, 
they will not raise their hand to kill you, especially as of that time. Anyway, so I returned back and I learned my lessons. I continued to be a, a Christian, but a secret believer. Uh, whenever I'm back home to the village, I was a secret believer. But back in the city, uh, a full-blown believer, if you understand what I mean. Uh, yep. And... And uh, I did that until the time that I was able to now come out and say to them, look, this is not working. I am a Christian and I'm a Christian forever. And how old were you at that point? Um, I think I was uh, already in secondary school at that time. Uh, I'm not sure what the calculation will be now, but I was already in year three in secondary school. Maybe I was uh, perhaps about uh, 15 years or so. Okay, so there there had been a couple years then since you had made this yes. decision to follow yes. Jesus. How, right. how are you feeling during that time? I mean, again, you're you're a teenager, you're a young man, uh, and you're you're you know concealing in a sense your Christianity and your relationship with Jesus. Did you ever feel kind of any guilt to, towards that, or were you just oh, thinking? Yes. Oh yes. I felt very guilty because when I come back to the city, I feel that I have denied the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the village. But here am I in the city being uh, portraying myself as a Christian. In fact, it is this guilt that drove me to finally say, look, whatever will happen, let it happen. I'm a Christian. So you were obviously you were growing then in your faith. And I don't think anybody Yanusa would blame if you knew of a 13-year-old, and, and you've come across them, and I've met them when I've been in Nigeria, they're young, they become a Christian, and to you know, outwardly say, I become a Christian, well, it could mean death. And I mean, the Bible does talk about you know, being wise as serpents, innocent of doves. So, I mean, I think you could rationalize it. And yes, I know we are to let our light shine and the rest of it, and not to deny Jesus. So for you, though, as you're maturing and you're going through some of these challenges, I should share Jesus, I, I want people to know I'm a Christian, I'm not a Muslim. How did that then change when you did come out and say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ? How was that perceived by your family and what was the reaction? Well, my family kept trying to see that they persuade me to come back. My elder sisters will persuade me to come back to, to the Islamic faith. Then all of a sudden in 1986, when I was completing secondary school, my father died. And uh, uh, so I was left with only my siblings to, to contend with. And they, they tried all they can to persuade me, to coerce me, to speak roughly. Uh, to do all that is possible for me to return back to the Islamic faith. It wasn't possible. One thing I said to them is, which would you prefer? Would you prefer that you hear your younger brother is in town and he's become a rascal? In other words, smoking, taking all kinds of substance, mm -hmm. fighting events on the street and being a useless guy. Are you not happy that this Christianity has so changed me that I'm a well-behaved younger brother of yours that you could relate with. Uh, yes, they are, but, you know, you could still be a Muslim and be a nice guy. 
so they tried and tried, but after some times, especially when it was uh, very obvious that I wasn't going to give in, and also that uh, when I, I became financially independent and uh, started working, they just felt that they've lost the battle. So they let it be. And then after many years, a relationship returned. And so they now visit me and we do things together. They no longer talk about my, uh, you know, feel angry about me being a Christian now, because right now they have discovered that my being a Christian is, uh, it's quite rewarding, uh, you know, for the family. You know, so when your family couldn't get you back to becoming a Muslim, was there pressure uh, from other Muslims in the community, like any mom? And I understand that your brother uh, was also a leader within the Islamic faith. No, they wouldn't know that. The, all they knew about me in the city, because this is several kilometers away from where I come from, all they knew about me was my elder brother, who was already a Christian. So they have no idea. Uh, that I, I was once a Muslim because I came to know Christ at a very early age. So the, all the pressures came from the family, especially from my elder brother, who was also an Islamic cleric. Uh, he's still an Islamic cleric anyway. Uh, so uh, I didn't have any other external pressure apart from my family. And, and again, like I said, because they didn't know that we are originally Muslims, mm. perhaps. How has that helped you then in terms of sharing your faith with Muslims? Because Nigeria basically breaks down as half the country are Christian, in name at least, and same 50% or so are Muslim. Uh, some are more passionate about their Islamic you know, faith. Some are more militant. Uh, so it's, But it, it kind of breaks down that way. So there's millions and millions of Muslims in Nigeria. How have you been able to you know, use your background as a Muslim to talk to those that are Muslim and maybe even considering becoming Christians. I have discovered that when I, I talk to Muslims about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, of course, there is resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, but each time I mention to them that I am also from uh, a Muslim family, I was once a Muslim, then it draws more attention. They, they want to listen, how, how did it happen? That's one advantage. Secondly, uh, the other advantage is that I see the Muslims uh, with the eyes of pity, not hatred, because I was, I'm coming from that background and I know what it means to be a Muslim. And I also now know what it means to be a Christian. So I've tested the two, the two divides. And so the, the experience, that I have as a Muslim and now being a Christian and also studying Islam in the seminary gives me an edge in trying to, to witness to the Muslims patiently, in trying to witness to them passionately, and in trying to witness to them with, with great understanding of where they are coming from and how difficult it is for a Muslim to, to, to give his life to Christ. So in spite of all the violence done against the followers of Jesus by militant Islamists, 
that hasn't hardened your heart at all towards those that are in the Islamic religion so that they no. would come know Jesus? No, because my family is still there as Muslims, although they are not violent, but uh, it's, 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 it's a thing of pity, like I said to you. I see them with the eye of people who need the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that kind of hatred, it's, it's, it's absent. It's absent. So you have a real heart and uh, compassion for Muslim people that are, are trapped in a religion. Now, again, you were very young when you became a Christian, but you do have that understanding. And, and it's like when the Bible talks about, you know, having, you know, comfort those with the comfort that you've received and in that sense that you receive the comfort of the Lord, is, is that then, that does help you then from, you know, not just sort of writing Muslims off and saying, oh, they'll never become Christians. Is that, is that helped you then in terms of your desire to see them come to Jesus? Sure, because if God wrote me off, then I will never have become a Christian. Mm. So I see them, God has helped me to see them, and every unbeliever, by the way, not just Muslims, to see them with the eyes that God sees them. Very early in life, that used to be my daily prayer. Lord, help me to see uh, unbelievers with the eyes that you see them, uh, so that I can have the compassion that is needed to be able to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even when they respond mm -hmm. to hatred. Right. We have to see that. And, and again, it, it does help us to understand even what the Bible talks about in Jesus, even on the cross, you know, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Or Stephen, the first martyr of the church, echoing those same words that when people are set free from even the Christian religion in terms of it's, you know, just it's, it's a road, it's a legalism thing or whatever. When people get set free of religion and come to relationship with Jesus, they become, you know, amazing evangelists. And I, and I know you've seen that and I've met those in Nigeria as well. So tell me about this full time call then to ministry. Why did you, you know, what led you to want to get involved in serving Jesus, you know, as a minister of the gospel in a full time way and devoted to that? Well, very early uh, in my secondary school days, when I was uh, graduating from secondary school, I, I had this urge or people were saying to me that, uh, you know, you look like a pastor and it looks like this is what would be good for you. Uh, I had written that off because I... I had always wanted to be a medical doctor or a pharmacist uh, or even a lawyer. So I was working towards that. So after secondary school, I, I didn't get admission to go to the university. So I went to the polytechnic and I started reading statistics. But the very first day I stepped my foot on the uh, campus where I was then, you know, where I got admission to read statistics, uh, the patron, who is the, the deputy rector of the school, welcomed us Christian students. And he made a statement and said, some of you are here and you are not supposed to be here. Some of you are doing statistics. You are supposed to be doing business administration. Some of you are in business administration. You are supposed to be engineering. Mm. And, and so the, the message hit me so hard because I, I had already started struggling. And the voice was very, very clear that, I am in the wrong place. So I stayed for one year and uh, because my peace was completely taken, 
In fact, it was showing physically on me. I became emaciated. Uh, so I said, well, let me take, let me buy the form to the seminary. I did. And then they called for exams. I went for the exams. I made sure that I wrote the exam very sharply so that I can fill the exams. And then I can tell God it's not my fault. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I wrote the exams and then the result came out and I was told that I passed the exams. Well, I said, okay, fine. But then that was not the end. I had to go for interview. So I went to the interview and uh, I didn't behave like, like a candidate who wanted to go to the seminary. So I answered the way I, I, I felt that the people might get angry and said, no, this is not a candidate for ministry. Well, the result came out and... <laughs> I was told that I passed <laughs> the interview. All right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're getting cornered, brother. <laughs> but then I was, I was still was still continuing with my education in the polytechnic. Uh, so when it was time to resume school, the amount that I needed to enroll uh, in the seminary then was like uh, ten times what I was paying in the polytechnic because the polytechnic is a federal institution, government institution. But the seminary, like you know, it's a private institution, so you have to pay. Uh, so now I said to God, now this does it. I don't have the money. I don't, and it's true that I didn't have the money. I don't have any sponsorship. So you see, it's no longer my fault. You know, God, I really wanted to go to be a full-time minister, but now this is the end of the road. Well, Two days to resumption, a church called me and said, we had, you had, your, you, you secured admission to the seminary. I said, that's correct. We also know that you are from a Muslim background. I said, it's correct. We are also aware that you have no sponsorship. I said, that's correct. Well, we, the board has met and we are paying your school fees for the first, uh, for the first uh, semester. So at that point, I just said to myself, now this must be God. Yeah. So yeah, I gave up. Uh, I gave up uh, giving excuses. And so that's how I went to the seminary. And my first year in seminary, I came to the conclusion that I couldn't have been doing anything that would make me happier and satisfied, not being a medical doctor, not being a pharmacist, not being a lawyer or anything, not being a business tycoon that would have given me the kind of satisfaction that I began to derive. Even my first year in seminary, I spent four years, you know, for the degree program. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had peace. My peace returned immediately. And, you know, I, I was excited about it, enthusiastic about it. But at the time I went to the seminary, Around me, not many people went into full-time ministry at my age. Most of people in my age want to pursue secular education. Uh, in fact, there were some Christians who told me I was crazy, that with the result I had to go to the university and other institutions, uh, why would I want to go to the seminary? I should just go uh, and pursue other things. And then... When I start working and earning good salary, I can support mission. But the, the calling wasn't for me to support mission with Naira and Kobo. It was a calling to be in, in ministry myself. 
so that's that's my story in a short wow yeah that's i mean i've known you for a little while and uh, and just recently had found out that you were from a muslim background from another program that uh, that i work with uh, called 100 huntley street in context with uh, maggie john and and was very intrigued by that and that you also though didn't want to go into ministry and do you think yanusa that's why that you have stayed in nigeria i mean you have you're you're a family man you're married you have children uh, you had opportunity to leave Nigeria, you know, maybe come to a place where it's not so violent. Do you think that's why, you know, you have stayed and doing what you're doing because you just so firmly believe that that's what God not only called you to full-time ministry in that way. I mean, we're all full-time ministers, whether it's our salary or not, but your role as a church leader, is that, do you think that has strengthened you to stay there uh, with all the things that are going on? Because you knew God had your number, and this is what he wanted you to do. Very true, Greg. Uh, I had opportunity, like you said, to have uh, perhaps walk outside Nigeria. I, I remember one particular one. I, I had the opportunity to take up an appointment with an organization in the U.S. Uh, to coordinate Africa. But I told them that I would take up the appointment uh, if only I would uh, be allowed to operate from Nigeria. But they said, no, that's not going to happen. You have to relocate to the U.S. But I don't feel like leaving Nigeria, at least not now. Perhaps God may want me to leave at a particular time, but the way I was feeling then, the way I'm feeling now, I think that I still have a lot to contribute here to the church in Nigeria. There are so many people out there in Canada, in US, in, the, in Europe, who are doing ex exceedingly well in contributing to the church. Right. Perhaps we don't have that number here in Nigeria. So I, I feel compelled, I feel called to, to minister here in Nigeria and, and looks like this is where my ministry is for now. You know, so you had quite a miracle in your life because you and your wife wanted to become parents and it looked like that wasn't going to happen. You know, you got a little bit older. Tell me about the miracle of having children. Ah, thank you. You, you know, um, we got married with my wife uh, 1994, precisely October 29th. And like every other couple, we were very hopeful that within nine months, one year, we will be holding our baby or babies. Uh, each year passed and that hope was dashed. And this, this was for 25 years. And after, I mean, just when we were approaching 25 years, uh, just a few months to our wedding anniversary, the Lord uh, gave us two bouncing baby boys, <laughs> twins. Uh, you know, in connection to even what I suffered as a, a, a Muslim convert, one of the things is that in Islam, if you marry the wife and you are not uh, having children, uh, you marry more wives so that uh, you can have children. And that pressure was there. That pressure was there where people say, well, if not now that you have become a Christian, this wasn't going to be happening to you. You could have married more wives so that you can have children. And there are things you should do you are not doing because of this, your newfound faith. So 
that treasure was there for me. But God came, showed forth, he, he showed up, as it were, uh, 25 years later. So uh, my boys are now two years, two months old, uh-huh. still counting. And I'm grateful to God that uh, God has uh, showed himself to be God, uh, even in this situation. By being in a country like Nigeria that has had so much violence and continues to have violence against Christians, what have you learned about persecution, those that are suffering for Christ? How has that affected your faith? And what are some of the lessons you've learned and things that maybe we can learn from from yourself and from our brothers and sisters in Nigeria? Well, one thing I've come to terms with is that you die only once. Hmm. So either by sickness or by persecution or by merely sleeping and not waking up, you die only once. So our lives are sold out here in the kind of environment we find ourselves. But to answer your question very directly is that what we read in scriptures is very true and seen happening here in Nigeria that when persecution broke out in Acts of Apostles, the believers were scattered and that strengthened Christianity. In other words, persecution strengthens Christianity. And this is what I have seen in Nigeria, that these years of persecution, especially in the North, have strengthened Christianity. If you know Nigeria very well and you are conversant with Christianity, you would agree with me that Christianity is stronger in the North than in the Southern part of Nigeria. Why is that so? Of course, the North is poorer than the South. The Southern church is richer than the Northern church. Mm-hmm. But why is it that Christianity is stronger in the North? The simple fact is that the North has been more persecuted uh, than the South. So Christ, uh, persecution strengthens faith, it strengthens Christianity. It, it, it brings growth to the church and it helps the church to multiply. This is what I have learned. I remember when I was there and I, you know, go around and I gather, you know, stories, I have my video camera. I remember being in the North or I think we we're close to the North. Maybe they brought the believers down to us, but he did these interviews and heard these stories of, you know, incredible persecution. And then I went back to the hotel that night and there was a worship service going on. It was, and I, you know, I love African worship. In fact, we have some wonderful African churches here in Canada and I like to go visit, uh, you know, with COVID, haven't been able to travel as much. But I remember going into the, ho- you know, the hotel and the worship service was going on and they put on a video and I was excited to hear what the message was, but it was about how to prosper in the kingdom of God. It was actually, it was a Nigerian pastor who was in the United States and it was being, you know, recorded and then they were playing there. And I thought, this is just like being in Canada in some parts where there's this prosperity gospel. I'm going, how is this possibly happening in a country where not very far down the road, our brothers and sisters are dying for their faith, and yet there's the same distraction. And so I guess even when I've come back into Canada, you know, from being overseas, and and I'll say, how do I pray? Do I pray that persecution will come, you know, against the church in Canada, and we're starting to feel more opposition to the gospel in Canada, United States? And, And I know many believers are praying against that, and I understand 
But you know, so we do see when when the church is under pressure, that's when the church grows. So how how do we then pray for not only northern Nigerian persecution, but for even the you know brothers and sisters in the south? Well, it's uh, to pray that the most of them that God will bring them out of their nominalism and that he will make them stronger. I wouldn't pray that they suffer what we are suffering before their eyes are open. But if that is what it will take God to make them strong and their faith to be built, so be it, because he's God. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's, that's the most important thing. Well, please know that we will continue to pray for you personally, your family, uh, and our brothers and sisters that are you know undergoing persecution and the entire church in Nigeria, because as we've talked about before, we do believe that God has a special calling upon that nation of Nigeria. And uh, just again, we love and appreciate you, Yanusa. God bless you, brother. And thanks for joining me on Closer to the Fire. Thank you, Greg, for having me.